<laughs> you know what time it is. Jaman. Jaman. Welcome to the Cali High Podcast. This is your host, Jenzo Nico, and I've been a cannabis connoisseur for 50 years. 50 On the Cali High Podcast, we will talk all things cannabis as they relate to California and beyond. From the history of buds in the state to the laws that now govern its use notable personalities in cannabis and how they shape the industry in California and the world. To growing personally and professionally, indoor and outdoors. From flowers to concentrates, edibles to topical cannabis creams, and the people behind the scenes. Reports from dispensaries, cultivators, medical patients, historical documents, and of course, recreational users. Hi folks, this is Chenzo Nico, your host. Welcome to episode Tom, 9 of Tom, Cali High. Tom, Tom. I'm here with Joe the Sound Guy, as always. Hi, I'm Joe the Sound Guy. This week we have Tom Schnabel of KCRW fame. Tom. He brought us Morning Becomes Eclectic mm-hmm. for decades, starting in the late 70s, and was instrumental in changing the culture of music in Southern California, and thereby the Western world. Tom. He brought to us world music, and he brought it to a large, influential audience as hadn't been done before. Tom, Tom, Tom. So let's Tom. hear from Mr. Schnabel. Tom Schnabel? Yeah, he, actually, he, he was awarded a knighthood in France. You talked to Tom? I talked to Tom. Wow. Le Chevalier Schnabel. Oh, that guy. Today, Cali High is honored to have as our guest Tom Schnabel. Author, journalist, DJ, educator, LA lifeguard, creator of Morning Becomes Eclectic, and former KCRW music supervisor. In 1998, he was awarded the French Medal of Arts and given the title Le Chevalier de l'Ordre des Arts et des Lettres for his work in bringing world music to America, and in my opinion, especially to Los Angeles, and into my house and car on the radio for 40 years on KCRW. Good day, Tom. Hi. Thanks for the uh, the nice little introduction, and your French is uh, improved. Well, uh, I got a little coaching on that, but I hope it was okay. And uh, let Excellent. me just say here that uh, we are honored to have you here. So. Well, it's an honor to be with you. Excellent, Tom. We've known each other for thirty-three years, ever since I was in the Navy. And uh, I want to thank you for being here with us on the phone today in the age of coronavirus. And I'm here with Joe, the sound guy, who you've also known for 33 years. Hey, Tom. Because he was the big voice of Soy Cowboy. Yes, he was. Uh, Tom, I'd like to start off to take you back a few years before KCRW was at Santa Monica City College when it was in a middle school. I believe you interviewed Peter Tosh. And I was wondering if you could just tell us about that interview and what Peter told you that day. Peter Tosh came to the station in 1982 to Morning Becomes Eclectic, which I was hosting. Uh, Roger Steffens was there because I think I would have been terrified to not have him and his expertise there in the studio with me. One of the employees at the station, I won't mention any names here, (laughs) went out, drove out in a nice little sort of classic Volvo P1800, and uh, he he went out to pick up Peter Tosh at his hotel because he was hoping to get some of the fabled herb mix that Peter Tosh liked to smoke. 
and to share it on the way over to the station. Unfortunately, Peter Tosh would not share any of his righteous ganja with, with, with anybody, anybody else. So he, Peter Tosh walks into the middle school, John Adams Middle School, smoking a huge spliff. Wow. And he walked into the studio, and the smell is all over the place. And he proceeds to start talking about uh, an experience he had threatening his life. Who was threatening his and life? It, it, the, the con the, he called it bumbaclot, where he felt the evil spirit surrounding him. He screamed out the word bumbaclot, and again, the evil spirits dispersed from his soul and his mind, his room. So he told us those things. This was in 1982. The station manager walks into the station. Ruth? And she, she smells, yeah, she smells the ganja. And she, she looks around and says, what's going on here? This has to stop. <laughs> and she starts walking by Peter Tosh. And Peter Tosh stands up. He was a very tall guy. He had dark glasses on, long dreads, and is smoking this spliff. And Ruth was so sort of taken aback that she basically just sort of just skittled into the office to get away because she sort of, she didn't want to have any sort of a confrontation, which is interesting because Ruth, you know, she never did that. No, she didn't. Anyway, <laughs> she didn't do that. And Ruth was a very, very, very strong leader, strong manager that wouldn't take any guff from anybody. So no. that was in interesting. Um, Peter Toshin is very tall, uh, very black, a long dreads, sunglasses, and an incredible singer-songwriter. In his, what he recounted about the evil spirits that were basically after him, he almost foretold his own death by shooting a few years later. He was, he was assassinated. Right. Um, and and in, in just a few years later, and he almost foretold what eventually happened to him with that dream that he recounted to us back in 1982. Wow, that's an interesting story. I first learned the word bumbaclot. It's kind of like a, an expletive, uh, an execration in, in Patois, I believe, or at least in Jamaica, right? It was almost not like it. The way, the way I remember him doing it, he almost sort of like, he said it very loud to kind of scare away the evil spirits mm -hmm. that were enveloping his soul. And when he said it, he saw, he saw the spirits scattering. He felt the spirits leaving. So it, it was sort of a, an exorcism, wow. sort of an exhortation and an exorcism that uh, helped rid his mind and spirit of these evil spirits. Right at the middle school. Right inside the little, the little converted classroom that was the original KCRW studio. That's an amazing story. Did the sound? Did the uh, the guy that went to pick him up ever get a hit? Nope, he never did. <laughs> wow. Now, as music director at KCRW, you started Morning Becomes Eclectic on July nineteenth, nineteen seventy nine. I think. Well, in all in all fairness, I have to say that I, I sort of inherited it. There was there was uh, another person, Isabel Holt, who was the the music director, and she was hosting the show. But uh, I took over, um, and you know the day, it was July, I think, 18th? 19th, 19th. 19th. That's my yes, birthday, that's why we remember that. your birthday, so you always remind me of that. 
So I took over Morning Becomes Eclectic. Um, it was quite a, a challenge and quite an honor to be doing it. I'm a music fanatic, always have been. Radio has been very important in my life. For 30 years, I didn't even have a television set. You asked me about the Brady Bunch, and I only found out a few years ago what they were, and then everything else, because I didn't have a TV. I didn't want a TV because I'm, I'm into music. Um, one of the first things I did um, was to bring in somebody named Roger Steffens and also a guy named Hank Holmes, mm -hmm. who Roger was like an authority on reggae music. He was a great host. He was very good on the air, very charismatic, very strong. He had been to Vietnam as a photographer. He had gotten hit by, by Agent Orange. You know, his skin was peeling off his hands for a long time. But he also, he was an expert in reggae music. Hank Holmes, and a great host, a great guy, he could have been on television, but mm -hmm. he was very, 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 very forceful and very, very good on, on Mike. Hank Holmes wasn't as good on Mike, but he had the, one of the biggest collections of reggae of anybody in the world, including priceless first edition seven-inch singles that came out only in Jamaica. So he had all those original seven-inch singles and things that many of which never came out on LP. He had the original, the original recording. So, so between the two of them, we really had our bases covered in terms of reggae. And it's interesting for me, uh, reggae music. I mean, look at the time that reggae started becoming popular, at least in America, in the the late 1970s. There was the Jimmy Cliff film, The Harder They Come which introduced a lot of people to reggae music. But then, you know, Bob Marley came along, uh, Peter Tosh, and people started becoming more aware of reggae, and there was an authenticity in, in reggae. Remember that, you know, we were just coming out of, of the disco, the disco period. Mm -hmm. um, the hippie, the whole hippie thing and the whole uh, summer of love died with Altamont and with the, the Charles Manson uh, killings. So then, then you start having disco, and basically reggae was something that had an authentic message. And I think that's why it became as popular as it did, because there were a lot of artists who were, who were speaking the truth. And I would say that was diminished in some respect by, you know, in, with dancehall um, music, with the homophobia and everything else. But the original guys in reggae music were really wonderful, and they had an authentic message. So I put the show on, I knew that it would be good, and I learned, you know, I always liked, I don't know everything about music, so I listened to other people doing shows to learn things. And with reggae, you know, I learned, you know, Freddie, Freddie McGregor, uh, Junior Mervyn, uh, and, you know, Gregory Isaac, mm -hmm. and so many other, other people. So I was learning on Sunday afternoons along with everybody else, and the, 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 the reggae show became... Uh, one of the, mo the one of the most popular shows on KCRW. Oh yeah, was well de well deserved. Uh, Roger would would basically host the, the subscription drives. He was fabulous. If he wanted to, to to feign an Irish accent, he was perfect. I mean, he he was a, he was an actor as well, so he could do all these things. Plus, his knowledge of reggae music was superb, and also his abilities as a radio presenter bringing you in was stellar oh yes he has is quite a technique there great voice too okay yeah. so hank holmes and roger steffens were co-hosts of the reggae beat uh, Ro 
Roger was the host. Uh, uh, Hank Holmes was the co-host. Mm-hmm. They would switch sets, usually about half-hour sets. The program started, I think, at two hours, and I think it was so popular that they extended it to three hours. So it was two to five every Sunday afternoon. Good time for radio. Mm-hmm. It was two to five on on Sundays, you know. And you know, reggae is kind of a it's a it's a California kind of music. I mean, it talks about nature, it talks about the ocean, it talks about all sorts of you know natural things that pe- that people enjoy. So I think it was just a kind of a shoe in for this Los Angeles radio station for and California to to like reggae and reggae is still very popular here. There's some of the big reggae festivals happen down in Long Beach. San Diego has a huge uh, reggae fan and com- community. Oh yeah, so I've noticed too. Great. Yeah, so it was really a, a it was a beautiful match and it worked uh, worked splendidly. Well, that's why Cali High is speaking to you today. At least one of the reasons. Thank um, you. Now, did you start the Reggae Night at the Bowl as well? Yes. I was hired um, by the L.A. Philharmonic to start a new series of, of world music concerts. The first year of it, I was hired in, 19, in 1998. I hired Laura Connolly, who was at Luna Park, uh, which was kind of about to, I think, close or mm-hmm. whatever, stop. So I hired her. She was just absolutely superb. I'm no longer there, but she has risen up in the ranks, and rightly so. She's an incredible uh, incredible booker, incredible uh, pre- presenter. So we started the World Festival in 1998. Unfortunately, KCRW did not sign on for the first year. The new music director didn't really understand the music and didn't want to sign on. When that was uh, that was a bit of a, a bit of a blow. But in in nineteen in two thousand we had our first uh, KCRW World Festival. But the, the first year we had we had reggae. I know that one person who was on was was Lucky Dubay, the South African mm-hmm. uh, reggae star, and he is one of my favorite artists. I produced a retrospective for Ryko Disc with all his stuff. He was one of the most genuine, beautiful cats I've ever known. Uh, he, unfortunately, he was murdered in a carjacking in Johannesburg a few years later. But he put out so many great songs, and in many ways, he really carried on Bob Marley's vision and Bob Marley's themes, um, his voice, the arrangements. I think he's about as close to Bob Marley as anybody I can think of, except maybe Bob Marley's sons. Uh-huh. But, I, I, but but lucky debate. So he was in the in the first the first year of the 1999. The interesting thing about reggae is that the reggae shows. You know, we 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 booked the reggae shows at around the same time in the summer that reggae on the river was happening up north. Up north, yeah. So many of the artists were already here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was not that difficult to bring them down to L.A. For a show, I think a lot of people want to play the Hollywood Bowl. It's not like playing at, uh, I don't know, some club. I mean, it's a it's an iconic uh, landmark for a performance. A great venue. So, yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great venue, and it's a great way to spend a, a su- summer evening. So, uh, with reggae, we didn't have to promote the reggae very much. People just came. There are some other people, you know, some other music, you know, you you had more obscure artists or you had something that was harder to uh, to to promote let's say gypsy music or mm-hmm. something like that but reggae 
it kind of was built in and just uh, sold tickets. People wanted to come to reggae, and, and a great variety of people, too. Oh, yeah, it's been is, packed uh, every year since then as well. Yeah, it's been, yeah. And it, it, it's also, it's also there, there's, a, there's a lot of atmosphere. Oh, it's a great, at, great at, night. At those, at those shows, you know. I have my dental hygienist, her daughter, um, from Pacific Palisades was invited by some neighbors because they had season tickets for the Hollywood Bowl for the summer, and uh, the family went to the they went to the, the the bowl for the reggae show, and everybody around their seats, which were down sort of in the near the, <laughs> the garden down in the bottom, everybody was smoking was smoking, and, and this the, they were saying, "Hold what are they doing here? That's illegal. They can't be doing this." Because they didn't know anything about the sacraments of of, of, of reggae music. Yeah. Um, and I also have to say that, you know, the heavy-handed uh, treatment that sometimes happens at concerts if someone somebody lights up, you know, it's outside, and uh, the staff was pretty pretty cool about about all that. Oh yeah. So reggae has continued every single year. Yeah. Now they have like a whole smoking section for uh, the uh, partakers of the sacrament. I didn't. I didn't even know that. But we must be in like the twentieth, the twentieth uh, season for reggae night at the bowl. Twenty uh, second. Twenty second. Yeah, that something that is amazing. We'll talk about something with uh, with longevity, you know, and, and stickiness. You know, this is one of the of the musical styles that uh, that that still has a place at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh yeah. There's well, a lot of competition to get to the bowl in the summertime, but the the, the reggae night always succeeds. Yep. I've I've taken my 7-year-old twice to the reggae night. Once yeah. with it, Ziggy and uh, the Specials and then with Damien and Third World. Very nice. Well, Tom, um, yeah. Joe, the sound guy, is waving his hand. He's got his hand up like he has a question. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. Tom, Tom, have you yeah. heard of uh, Linton Queasy Johnson? Of course. Is he reggae, or it, well, what classification of music do you call it? Linton Queasy Johnson is a, it is, is a British uh, reggae artist and poet. He's known, he's known as, a, as a poet. His music is very high-tech reggae. It's very uh, modern, very like a revolutionary friend is a wild track oh two well, different i'd have to have to have to listen to it i mean some of the guys you know like um reggae music uh, he was at um the studio one producer coxon are we talking coxon dodd coxon yeah, dodd. dodd was one cat but the other cat was lee scratch perry for God's oh sake. oh my god lee scratch perry uh yeah yeah Cloaking Lizard and uh, the Upsetters, and yeah, he was a producer uh, as as well. I, I also, I mean, there's so many other people that I like, I like Prince Buster. My mm-hmm. sound goes around. Fantastic! I'm, I'm I love ska. Mm-hmm. I really love ska. And the thing, one of the things I love about Junior Francis is that he plays a lot of ska, and ska just has with that kind of strange, you know, it's hitting on the. On the uh, on the up, the accent is always on the upbeat and stuff. Even like you know, the the song that got Chris Blackwell started was "My Boy Lollipop." Wow. Bob Marley made all the money, but that was the thing that got Chris Blackwell on on the on the you know. On the, I'm looking, on the reggae scene. I mean, we, 
Yeah, I mean, we had Half Pint, Michael Rose, Sly and Robbie, Prince Fatty, I like him, some of the new stuff. Um, Junior Reed, I really like Junior Reed. Matumbi, a point of view, fantastic English Oh, that's a band. great song. I like that. Muda Baruka was, was a, a heavy-duty cat, um, a poet. You know, he was a poet. He did some very, very interesting things. And I think sometimes people think, oh, Bob Marley, yeah, I know him. Yeah, Jimmy Cliff, yeah, I know him. It's kind of like there's so much good reggae. Mm. And it's kind of like, you know, people used to say, I love Cuban music. Uh, back, you know, in like mid, late 90s. Oh, really? Who? Well, Benavista Social Club. Oh, yeah. Who else do you like? Silence. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I, I remember there was a Cuban compilation album came out on uh, World Music, on the World Music label. It was really great. I, but uh, uh, the, the names of the people, I can't, couldn't really tell you. Yeah. Well, one thing about reggae is that, you know, you can find a record from... New Caledonia, a band, and it'll be a reggae band. Mm-hmm. It's a worldwide you know? phenomenon now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's everywhere, and there it it relates to people of color. It relates to you know to white people, everybody. It's every man's and, and music. It's, down, it's well, it's down to earth. It's not snotty. It's not like you know. It's not like jazz. It's just it's a people's music. Yep. Yeah, I like the Congos a lot. I think they're superb, the Congos. Uh-huh. They have a record called Heart of the Congos. Oh, my God, it's fabulous. We'll so, have to check that out. I like Steel, Steel Pulse. I like, you know, I like the English reggae bands a lot. Mm-hmm. You, know, you mentioned Lytton Kwesi Johnson. Um, I, I like them a lot. I like Muda Baruka. Uh, and I like, uh, you know, like I said, the, the Matumbi. So... Could go all over the place. So, Tom, I know that both of us first heard reggae when we heard the Naughty Dread album. No, it was what's his name? I it was Johnny Nash. Oh, that's right. And I can see, I can see clearly now, which is a great song. And then the film, the Jimmy Cliff film, The Harder They, they Come, was out in like 1975. So I saw the film. I didn't understand half the patois that people were were using. I couldn't understand. A word. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. a different language, which I think, in a way, makes reggae kind of an early world music. Um, at least the, the the music you know coming into the states and, and into Europe. Absolutely. Um, I the, I discovered Bob Marley. I was at I was living in Paris. There was a Christmas party at some friends, and a couple of of reggae dudes came in they were rastas there might have been one bald head you know one guy with no dreads and they put a tape into the the cassette player and started dancing like crazy just going wild and i'm going like what are these guys on i mean what's the deal that the beat is like off and strange and everything i didn't get i didn't get you know what what did the saint vitus's dance with this music that was so backwards, and, and, and I didn't understand it at all. I mm-hmm. really, I really didn't. I didn't understand why they were so excited. And then I found out much later that the cassette was Natty Dread. Yeah, and great it's an album. Interesting story that I found out from from Roger Steffens is that uh, Chris Blackwell wanted to call it a different name, but, but it was a different but, spelling. He want he, it was originally Naughty, as in K N O T T Y. And then uh, Chris Blackwell had it changed to Natty, which 
totally had something to do with like a top hat of worn by the uh, aristocracy in Jamaica. Right, right. Yeah, by Winston Churchill, which is a really a, a dumb, dumb idea. But uh, mm-hmm. he, he was he owned the label, so he, you know, he got his way. I heard Peter Tosh uh, had a problem with that. I think was Peter Tosh out of the picture by then. That's a good question. That's a question for Junior Francis or for Roger Steffens. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Roger Steffens, he's going to be our next guest. So would you like to say something about Roger? R- Roger is like an encyclopedia of this <laughs> genre. He is amazing. I mean, he's dedicated the last, well, what, 40, 50 years of his life after coming back from Vietnam and being a teach an English teacher and everything else to reggae music and specifically compiling this extraordinary archives, the Bob Marley archives. Yeah, I, I can't believe how lucky we are going to be to talk to him. So that's yeah, amazing. You, you are lucky. You should also talk to, to, to Junior Francis. I mean, I, I don't know his much about him personally, but he is a he's a really fun guy. I don't know exactly how to reach him to tell you the truth. Um, Call up KXLU. I don't think that anybody there is going to know anything. Plus, it's a skeleton crew there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, you mean how to reach him now? Ha- you'd have to call him up during his show. Now, I don't know. You might have to set your receivers to mono because KXLU does not get over the mountain. I know that. Point nine. I know yeah. that. Yeah, it disappears. So, so, but sometimes, you know, if you can't get it, put put it in a mono and you might get the signal. Interesting. Yeah. Give Roger my best. Okay, I, I definitely will give Roger your best. And okay. So Callie High is totally honored to have had you, Tom, and thank you very much for talking with us. And I hope you are safe and well during this crisis, and we'll be talking to you soon. I am. Well, thank you. Keep up the good work, guys, and we'll be talking soon. Okay. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a mask. I promise. I uh, promise. Get a get a mask, or I'm going to uh, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> we'll talk to you. Talk to you later. Have a great day. Bye. Alrighty, ciao. Bye. Oh my God, I am honored. I've been threatened by Tom Schnabel. Yes, he should be honored. He's going to kill me if I don't get a mask. An amazing guy, huh? He's cool. Yeah. Very knowledgeable. Le Chevalier Schnabel. (laughs) We thank him for being on Kelly High. So next week, folks, we have episode 10. And Roger Steffens is our guest. He is one of the world's foremost authorities on reggae. Roger Roger Steffens. Steffens. Yes, he's just written a new book called Too Much Things to Say, an oral history of Bob Marley. Robert. Nesta Marley.